Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner. ScriptRunner is a great solution to centrally manage PowerShell scripts and standardize and automate IT tasks via graphical user interface for help desk or end users. Check that out on scriptrunner.com. My name is Tobias, and I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I have finally received my home GIM gear. So, so for those who do not know what it means, it means essentially weights and plates and barbells and, and, and all sorts of things you need when you're building a gym in your home. So I did the order, I think, in, in February already. So that was months ago. And the steel, I think, comes from the US. Then it's shipped to Belgium of all the countries in the world. It's, it's packaged in there. And then it shipped to Finland to me. And, and it's about 2,000 kilos in total. So, so there's a lot of moving pieces in there. I think it's about 4,400 pounds. And last week, somebody called me and, and they were about to drop off the shipment on my yard. They were literally outside the new house. Hey, I'm here. Where can I drop this 2,000 kilos of stuff? And I said, just, just put it beside the road. And, and the package, it's, it's, it's like three crates they they have a huge rogue fitness logo on the side which obviously kind of screams that there's valuable stuff in 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 the packages so i call my builders who are still still finishing the house and and ask that could you perhaps kindly carry the stuff inside which they did uh i'm thankful for that and a day later we had a meeting at the side and we realized that all the gear is in room a but now we need to finish room A, so we needed to move the gear to room B. So once again, I asked the guys, could you kindly pick up that 2,000 kilos and move it like 10 meters? So the same builders carried everything to another room. And It's I only think... about 4,500 pounds, right? <laughs> exactly. So I think they're getting more exercise than I will ever get from the gear. So it's everything is still packed I, I haven't had time to unwrap anything and i'm not doing that in the coming weeks anyways before we finalize the house but i'm happy the gear is here it's in the right room now and it's just waiting for somebody to assemble those and i might be asking my builders could you also assemble everything for me please <laughs> i'm looking forward to see how that goes so i it, mean what i'm taking away from this is you finally have the, the final piece of the puzzle so you never have to leave home again Yes, that was the intention. So when the house is finished, I will just lock the door, not answer the door if somebody rings the doorbell, and I will just do my, my fitness things at home. I will watch Netflix and do the podcast things, and, and I'm good. Yeah, I mean, you've got this Finnish vibe going, right? So you can just watch in the, when they ring the doorbell, you can see who it is in the video camera, and you can just quietly whisper, whisper in the in the doorbell say please leave it outside and then step away and then when you've seen that they moved away then you can go out and pick it <laughs> exactly it's it's a finished trade that we actively dislike everybody and if we didn't invite anybody and the door doorbell rings we, we just don't open the door because we're not <laughs> expecting anybody to visit us it's not supposed to ring yeah so right. what's up with you so on my side actually also something related to my house so i, I bought a, a very old house and We've been renovating that a little bit and the home office has been ready for some time. And I installed my own kind of mini ventilation and yeah, a, a way to get fresh air in. 
which was great. And then I used an electrical heating radiator and then a fan to kind of distribute the heat. So during winter, that was good, you know, to, to get the heat up. The problem with that was it was about 15 degrees Celsius around the floor and 30 degrees around the ceiling. So I couldn't really get an even temperature. So my head was cooking because it was 30 degrees, but my feet were freezing. So my body was super confused. Like, what's going on here? Am I supposed to, to accelerate heat or not? I have no idea. So what I did was install what is in Swedish known as a Luft, Luft, Wärmepump. And, and I guess the English term is an air source heat pump. So now I can finally enjoy like a cool climate during summer and a warmer cl climate during winter in the home office. So while I did try these things myself with the mini ventilation and things like that, the mini ventilation stays. That is a, a small device from something like Mitsubishi that kind of takes fresh air from outside and pushes it into the room. So I always have fresh air and then you take bad air and sends it back out. That in now in, in combination with the air source heat pump, which has both, both heating and air con conditioning. Hopefully that gives me a really good uh, climate in the home office. Because in, in the end, if you don't have the right climate, you know, if you have bad air, old air, you know, if it feels too dense or if it's too hot or even too cold, your mind will not work very well. And I've experienced this, of course, working here both summertime and wintertime. So now hopefully I can have a like 20 degrees steady uh, Celsius just any day of the week, any day of the year. And hopefully I can get some more things done without having to open all the doors to get fresh air inside. So that's what I've been doing. And, and during the month of trying the different options, I realized that I'd rather spend money on a quality professional solution like this than have to redo or rethink the decision again when the seasons change, which is what I had to do now because I thought my way of putting this mini ventilation and the electrical radiator was going to be good enough but it's not good enough because now summer's coming and it's 23, 24 degrees in the office, which is about 74 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's not super hot, but it's too hot for eight to 10 hours of straight work. Your mind will not be in a good place if that is the heat you have to work in. So hopefully this will now be a healthy home office climate for many years to come. So that's what I've been up to. Sounds good. So I am living in your old reality. I, I have the door open right now. So if you're hearing birds singing, it's not me being outside, but I just need to ventilate the room to get the temperature down. So today, this episode is about our personal favorites from Microsoft Build 2022. So that was in late May. It was an online event, just like last year. Hopefully, in, in the coming years, things will perhaps resume or transform back to in-person events, or perhaps those will be hybrid. So, so Toby, are you planning, let's say in the coming years, if, if Build or Ignite or something similar, if it ever sort of transforms back to an in-person event, are you planning to perhaps attend in-person or do you prefer the online thing like it is now? That's actually a great question. And I know we had a Actually, a full episode, I think, on conferences in person or not, or at least we talked to great length about it. Uh, so without being too lengthy on that subject, I prefer both. There is not one way or the other for me. If I want the content, I go online because I can search and I can drill down to what I need and then I can fast forward and I can play the episodes at 1.75 times the speed 
which I usually do when I just need to catch up on something. And when the key parts that I need to understand comes in, I can just slow down and then I can speed up again. So when it comes to getting the content on demand online, super cool, but nothing can replace the human interactions of a real conference in person. So if I get the option to go to an in-person conference again, I will take it any day of the week just to build network, uh, to talk to people, at, you know, get the face value, um, to discuss challenges, opportunities, and figure things out. So I've never, ever gone to a conference for the sessions. I, I mean, there's great speakers, there's great sessions and all of this. I'm not going to take that away from anyone. But for me, a conference is never about the session, ever. I've attended a few sessions, but if you've seen me at the conferences in, in the past, you know, I usually go to the exhibit hall. I walk around, talk with the vendors, talk with the speakers, talk with attendees, talk with different people about different things, problems, solutions, ideas, go have a, a snack for lunch, go have a, a beer after the conference, things like that. Anything that can you know, build on the human connection, if you will. So I, I guess the final answer is content online meeting people definitely on site in person what about you i i like this this thinking i'm i'm the same really so in the past when we still had in-person events i would often go to ignite and build an mvp summit and and similar ones but it was mostly for the people for the community to to meet friends to make new friends and sessions of course i would attend the interesting ones but all too often, I would just open my laptop and do other things while listening in on the session like I could do online. So, so Build was, was a few weeks ago, and, and we've had some time to digest now on the announcements. And I felt that this year for Build, we didn't really have major hero announcements. So there were a lot of small things and also things I was expecting to be announced, but they were not Perhaps my expectations were wrong or perhaps some schedules change or something else. But, but to highlight a few um, that I've been thinking since, the first one is, is Azure Container Apps is now generally available. And, and for me, the major difference here is that we have an SLA and, and we can actually recommend using Azure Container Apps in production. Do, do you feel the same or, or was this something that you couldn't care less? I, I care about Azure Container Apps for multiple, you know, multiple reasons. Um, the systems I've designed and built are based on Azure Container Instances today, but I see the opportunity to start using Azure Container Apps. Now, when it's in GA, like you say, you have the SLA, you have better supportability, and you know, it, it goes mainstream in, in that sense. And it kind of enables customers to run your microservices and containerized apps on, on a more serverless platform which is kind of how I see Azure Container Instances as well, but you get a few different and other options with Azure Container Apps. So I'm excited about that hitting GA. And it's kind of built on the foundation of like the powerful open source technology used in the Kubernetes uh, ecosystem. So there are some, some powerful trades going on in there. So I'm happy about that, definitely. Super small update because it's, it just went from preview to gen, uh, general available, but still important enough because I know a lot of people are using containers today and are looking at what options they can run their containers in the cloud. And now you have this option for production workloads as well. So I agree. Okay, makes, makes sense. So, so what's top of your mind in terms of all of the announcements from Build? Uh, so something that I 
took a look at is a couple of updates around Azure App Services, uh, because I've also used this a lot and, and I still use it a lot. Uh, while we use container workloads and microservices for many things, Azure App Services are awesome. They are super great for a lot of things. Now they announced gRPC support or gRCP support, and which is in, in preview for Azure App Services. And that is the Google Remote Procedures Call. So that makes it possible for customers to host their uh, gRPC apps on Azure App Service. So if you have built uh, any apps now using the, the gRPC protocol or, or pattern, if you will, then you can host that on Azure App Services. And that uses the HTTP, HTTP to protocol to streamline your messages between client and backend servers. And that kind of provides you the efficient uh, way to connect your services that require high performance communication. So I really like that one. And there are two more things I like around Azure App Services specifically. They did the Azure App Service Landing Zone Accelerator release. And, and that's a mouthful. So the accelerator is like a combination of docs and automation that help customers deploy a reference enterprise scale deployment of Azure App Service on the Azure uh, App Service environment version three. So the combo of docs and deployable artifacts make it easier to kind of move your enterprise apps from on-prem environments to the Azure App Service. And I really like that because again, this shows that Microsoft is committed not just to uh, produce great services and great things in the cloud and not just great documentation, but also this and what I see as a hybrid documentation, a hybrid approach where you have both a reference implementation and documentation, you know, kind of tied into one. So you deploy this deployable artifact and you get the service and you get it done in the right way or in a way that is prepared and ready for enterprise scale. And then, of course, you can adapt and modify this any way you like. But they are thinking now about these things actively. How can we make customers more successful in these areas? So I was super happy to see that. And the final thing was the Azure App Service bulk migration capabilities. That's also in preview. And it's also something that makes it possible for customers not just to discover and assess your ASP.NET web apps. Because we talked about that in the past, that you could discover ASP.NET web apps like in IIS and things like this. But then you can now categorize which apps are ready for migration in bulk and suggest a, an SKU for migration. And then it provides you a guided content and configuration experience for your ASP.NET web apps to Azure App Services. So there's a, there's a lot of small things. Like these updates are not uh, mind-blowing. It's like you said before, it's not the hero updates. Like this is the super announcement from Build. Because let's be honest, to me, there was no super announcement at Build. It was a lot of service updates, a lot of interesting releases, interesting updates, but there was not, you know, nothing that makes me talk around the water cooler like, well, this was the coolest thing I've seen in a while. And you, because I expect we get these things kind of from Ignite these days. But the, around Azure App Services, these, these are the things that I really, really enjoyed. Sounds, sounds interesting. And the gRPC support, I will, I will openly admit I've never needed that. But obviously, my daily work is not around building custom .NET code for customers. So, so I, I've seen it. I've, I've read a bit about it. But now that there's support, perhaps I will spend a couple of hours during the weekend to try this out. The, the App Service Landing Zone Accelerator, I did have a look on that. It looks interesting for sure, but also it's, it's a sort of a plan and design for, I would say, larger deployments. So if you just need like a, like a website running in Azure, I don't think the Accelerator gives you much. 
But if you're thinking of migrating multiple applications and, and running line of business applications on top of app service, it makes perfect sense. The, the, the one thing I, was, I wasn't expecting, but when I saw the announcement, I figured this is definitely something that I will be using in the future, eventually when it becomes available. So Microsoft DevBox was announced. I saw it being called Azure DevBox in, in some of the early uh, build sessions. And then in the Book of News, which is the website with, with all the announcements gathered together, it's now called the Microsoft DevBox. So it's it's a um, service or a solution that allows you to spin up DevBoxes with whatever tooling, whatever settings you'd like. And I, I feel this fits in between Azure Virtual Desktop and Windows 365, which are mostly empty VMs that you manage and orchestrate. And then the GitHub code spaces, which is sort of a ready-made environment running in your browser primarily. So I feel the DevBox is something that gives you the most capabilities in that sense. No pricing announced. And I think this is coming during summer 2022. Uh, I did find a sign-up form that, that you can sign up for the early previews coming in the in the in the in the next next weeks or months so i'm anxious to try this out even though at the same time i know i literally have zero need for this i have a laptop i have a workstation i have servers i can run whatever i like in vms but having perhaps something in the cloud which is always ready for me would be an interesting aspect to try out yeah i, I really like this and um, like you mentioned, like the GitHub code spaces and things like that. We've we've heard about these things in the past. We've seen a little bit of it. I did try the GitHub code spaces and and took that for a spin. So I could easily uh, spin up uh, something directly from Visual Studio Code and say, okay, let's use this environment for building this thing and whatever. So I really like this update because it shows that Microsoft is thoroughly thinking about the entire dev ecosystem and, and how to make this easier for people. And I know a lot of organizations still today, it's 2022, still today we see a lot of organizations say, you know, we have this issue of getting all developers on the same page. Everyone wants to use their own device or different devices or different types of devices, different operating systems and whatever. But the specific solutions we're building in our enterprise uh, requires us to run on Windows for whatever reason. We might not be cross-platform uh, just yet. We might not even be using .NET uh, 5 or, or 6. We might be on .NET framework, you know, the, the traditional .NET, or for whatever reason that uh, you have to stay on a specific OS or something like this. I like this uh, movement towards like the generic Microsoft dev boxes and like the Azure deployment environments that you can also then make use of. Uh, hopefully this will streamline a lot of things. I'm not sure what like the performance will be and you know what the pricing of that will be. I know with code spaces, if you want it to go beyond you know whatever amount of cores you get by default and whatever memory and whatever, you started to pay a little bit more for it. So I don't know what that experience will be and and how this trade-off will be because quite frankly, if I have my own device, I have in my case a Dell XPS 15, which is super cool. Let's say I'm, I'm using this on, on a daily basis. That is more powerful than any default environment I spin up in Azure, right? And a lot quicker. But the problem is not always the speed or the, the availability of the environment in that sense, but also um, 
you know, if you have 25 developers or 100 developers, how do you get everyone to have the same experience? How do you get everyone to have the same code? Like your nightly builds, you can get these dev boxes and environments to have the nightly builds deployed to the image. You can get the image deployed um, to all the developers and, and use the same image and you can keep them up to date. So you have all the same tools, all the same pipelines, all the same um, kind of experiences that you expect for your dev team. So uh, while to me, this is still in theory because I haven't used this at this point, I've only used a, the Coach Spaces edition. Um, I'm very excited to see where this takes us because I do see the benefit of having this centrally managed and without us having to manage like the old ISO images we used to do and push uh, to a VM or push to, to an actual physical machine. Um, in, in the last couple of years, maybe VHD files to a, to a VM and say, hey, let's use this one. But instead having a, a super easy configuration of environments and say, this is how it's supposed to work. This is how it's supposed to be built. And voila, every night you get a fresh image and then the devs can just start their, their image and start, uh, start the work and, and pick things up. And to my understanding, this will also reduce the dev time and the build time because when you prepare the image, you can also prepare uh, the source code and, and you know, to, to fetch the latest nightly build or whatever your, your, your latest build is from your main branch. And that can be included in the image as well. Then when you start coding, you just sign in with your Git credentials and voila, off you go. Um, so yeah, still in theory, uh, no experience with it. But as soon as we do get some experience and, and can take this for a real spin uh, for, for like a production scenario, then I hope we can do a full episode on that because I really, truly believe this can be a, a game changer. Indeed. For, for the pricing, I do hope it, it aligns more with Azure and less with Microsoft 365 in the sense that if I shut down the dev box, essentially the cost should go close to zero instead of having this sort of slot allocated for me and incurring additional cost. Uh, next on my list, and this is super short because I have not much to say on this, but it's interesting. SQL Server 2022 is now available. And the last time I did install an on-premises SQL Server, I think that was 2019. I'm not fully certain if there was anything between 2019 and, and 2022 now, but obviously the innovations on SQL Server seem to be now on everything Azure related, Azure Synapse Link, Microsoft Purview support, disaster recovery to Azure SQL managed instance. These sort of things that, that give you cloud integration, but perhaps less innovation with the traditional database capabilities, because I feel those have been more or less the same for five, six, seven years now. And, and Toby, I know you live in the cloud, you have your head in the cloud, but is this something you can ever imagine deploying at home and just tinkering around with SQL Server? I mean, no. So <laughs> I, I started using uh, RDBMS or Relational Database Management Systems back in early 2000s. And before that, I used Access M MDB files and, and, and I built, super short trivia, I built a community website that had, I think, north of two or 3,000 members. It was hosted on IIS, running on my own machine, uh, on a Windows 2000, Windows Server 2000, I think. And it was built on traditional ASP, like classic ASP3, um, and then connected to an Access database file, a single file hosting all the database stuff. So, you know, that's my experience with databases locally. And then we did have a, a 
couple of huge SQL servers for a lot of projects, uh, you know, growing through the early 2000s. But these days, everything is cloud-based. For whatever I do, it's cloud-based. I have no need for a local SQL server. Uh, I understand all the companies that do have this requirement for, for many different reasons. I don't. So no, I, I don't see myself using that whatsoever. Whatever comes into Azure SQL uh, in the cloud, that's what I'll use. And if, if I even use that, because we use a lot of NoSQL because it's, it's great. You know, it, it fixes all of the scenarios we have at this point in time. So um, no, not going to use it. Okay, makes, makes sense. Uh, the last one on, on sort of my shortlist of interesting build announcements. Another thing that I've used, not quite recently, .NET MAUI is now generally available. So that's the .NET multi-platform app UI. And I think, and, and, and I did not look this up, so I think this is partially based, of course, on, on .NET, but also on Xamarin. And it has the, uh, the XAML uh, capability for, for defining the interfaces. And I did build a couple of useful utilities for myself using Xamarin a couple of years ago. And I needed to deploy something to Android and, and it worked really well. But since then, I, I haven't had any time to have a look at .NET MAUI. And I know it's been in preview for, for years now. And now it's ready, and I, I think it's built on top of .NET 6. Interesting for sure, and perhaps finally we can get rid of Win32-based code bases in, that, in the next 10 years, if this remains stable and, and if there's new innovation in here. So, so how about for you? Are you exposed to, to this multi-platform style of app building? No, I, I get the point here and I've taken a look at .NET MAUI and I think we even asked some people to come on to the show to talk about it at some point, but then it wasn't as ready as it is now. So maybe it's time again to start poking that bear to see if we can have someone come on and talk about deploying these type of apps on Azure and like what options do you have and what types of apps? Is it mobile apps? Is it desktop apps? And how do you then host them? Um, for me, I don't have that a reason for doing that. We only do web apps. Everything I do is web-based. So we, we don't have multi-platform apps running on different types of devices and different platforms. It runs in Azure app services and then anything else runs inside of containers. So essentially that is like a web app or a console app. That's pretty much how you build them in .NET uh, for containers or web apps. And that's, that's it. We do production grade scalable applications this way working in, in a decentralized manner as microservices architecture, and that works really, really well. But I would take .NET MAUI for a spin if I had to do like this multi-platform or cross-platform type of apps, but I haven't done that now. I'm happy to see it's in GA now, though. Indeed. Anything else that, that you're thinking in, in terms of being interesting from the build announcements? I only have one remaining thing, and like I said before, Build 2022 did not inspire me with any huge, super cool announcements in that sense, but there was a lot of announcements. You can see that there's been a lot of thought and a lot of planning and a lot of preparations going into creating this build experience for all of us, which is really cool. But none of these like huge announcements that is you know game-changing, but there's always some things you pick up that are super cool. And one, and, and I say this because I use Azure Monitor a lot and I use monitoring and app insights and everything in between a lot because everything we do 
you know, if we don't get the insights, we will never know in a distributed system if something is faulty, if something is um, performing poorly, or if there's a bottleneck somewhere. So insights, alerts, monitoring, super important. So Azure Monitor now gets AI ops powered smart maps. So that kind of improves the ability to detect, diagnose, and observe issues in apps and infrastructure with AI ops powered smart maps and app insights. And that pretty much gives you a visual, like a visual ID. And if you go to App Insights, you know you can click the application map, and that's where you can now see, like visually, spot uh, performance bottlenecks or failure hotspots across your distributed apps. It's in preview, so you go to that. You you can do it now in your Azure portal. I did it this morning. You can go there and to App Insights, click the application map, and then in the top bar you will see something called intelligent map or intelligent mode. It's by default right now turned off. You can turn it on and then you can start seeing some really interesting things. And I mean, I what I really liked about that is um, I, I could get this visual where you say intelligent view turn on and then you get like a, an edge case or something highlighted saying, click this thing because there's something you need to see about it. And then when you kind of click it, you, you get these like actionable insights, I think they call it. And from there, let's say I click my web instance, I have an app service and I click it. Then it's gonna say, well, why is this highlighted for you? Well, because in this case, the dependency re represents 44% of all the failures of the application and it has anomalies in a number of requests in the last day. Okay, I would not have known that unless this kind of machine learning powered, AI powered, uh, smart or intelligent view would pop this up. So now it can kind of analyze all the data you have, all the connections you have. You have a web app, you have storage accounts, you have key vaults, you have this, you have that, function apps, whatever, all distributed and, and a bunch of containers. Now with this application map, you can see things being highlighted and you click it and then it's going to tell you top filing status codes. Well, you're getting status 500 here. In the last whatever time period you selected, you had 150 of, of these status codes. Maybe that's an anomaly you need to take a look at. What is the slowest calls? Well, it's the get request to this resource. It always takes three seconds, right? It's supposed to take one millisecond or, or 100 milliseconds, but it takes three seconds for whatever reason. So a lot of things where you did not maybe make a conscious choice to measure something. So like measuring performance in your code, you can start a performance counter. You can start a measurement with app insights. You can do request tracing to see how long things take. But if you haven't done that yourself, now with, with this AI-powered, like kind of intelligent view, you can get a lot of that insights. And I really, really like that. And I think that maybe also begs for, for a different episode altogether to talk about these like uh, AI-powered or machine learning-powered features for insights, app insights, and monitor, because I use them a lot and I could not be operating what I'm operating if I did not have these things figured out. And Microsoft does a great job of simplifying that for us. But I think for me, that was kind of the, the last highlight from, from Build. Um, like I said, there none of these huge hero announcements um, appeared that I find noteworthy. But the, the ones we just talked about are things, yeah, kind of like Azure updates in a way, but things that were specifically mentioned during Build that I really like. So anything else on your list? Oh, no, no, that's that's everything. So obviously, there's more announcements from Build, but 
I, I felt many of those were fairly small in, in, in the context of, of the biggest developer events of the year. So check on the show notes. We'll definitely link to the book of book of news as well as, as all the individual items that we mentioned now. Alrighty, the last thing, the unexpected question. And based on my record keeping, Toby, it is your turn to come up with an unexpected question for me. Okay. So here, here's one. It's similar to something we did have in the past, but you can turn the angles and answers on this one any way you want. And I, I think it's a, it's a great conversation starter as well. If you go to a party and you don't know people, then just ask this question. What's invisible, but you wish people could see? Interesting question. I, I vaguely recall we had something similar dozens of episodes ago, and, and I can't recall what, what I came up with then, or was it me asking you? Anywho, uh, a couple of things. I would love to see radio frequencies, and I would love for people to see them, because then I would know, oh, there's a Wi-Fi here, there's 5G here, there's LTE here, I get good connectivity here as well. That's, that's a fairly obvious one, though. Uh, another thing which would be nice to see is, is uh, did we have people in a space before we arrived in the sense that you go to an elevator, oh, there were six people in the elevator before me. I, I wouldn't need that information at all, but it would be nice to sort of keep track on, on, on the people flow around the building you live in or in the grocery store or anything else. Kind of like it. I, I know when we had a similar question in the past, I, I said my answer would be, I want to see farts, right? So you can <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. avoid them. Uh, but just, but I, I really like this angle to the answer as well. If you could see where a lot of people spent time or you could see like the air quality. So yep. if you go into this elevator, it's going to be thick air. Take the stairs, right? Or, you know, here, nobody's been here for a while or only a few people, you know, the air quality is superb. Then maybe... Maybe that's a, also something that's invisible, but would be very nice to see. Anyway, that was the simple question. Nice stuff. So thank you again for joining us. We hope you tune in next week as well. We'll definitely come up with something fun for the next episode. Bye-bye. See you then.